the Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is the SEC West betting preview. I'm Stucky, and joining me, as always, Colin Wilson, who finally gets to talk some Arkansas football and not out of turn. Woo, pig suey. Hit that line, hit that line, keep on going. Take the ball right down the field. It is time for Razorback football. I cannot wait. Listen, we are a stock on the NASDAQ. The stock is up three years straight. When is it going to peak? When is it going to fall? Maybe it keeps going. Who knows? We'll talk about it here on the pod. Woo, big suey. I can already hear Matt dropping that in. Yes, sir. Uh, Before we get to Arkansas, I think the most, probably the most intriguing team in the country is... uh, down in Baton Rouge and trying to figure out what we're going to get from LSU this year. So who better to bring on? Let's start with our guest today, Brody Miller from The Athletic, an old friend of the show, covers all things LSU. You can find him on Twitter, at Brody A. Miller. Each and every year we have them on to talk LSU football. And for the SEC West preview, it's even more important to have him on this year because who can really figure out LSU? If you say you really know for sure, you're lying. But Brody will certainly help provide insight because no one's closer to the team than him. What's going on, Brody? Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. It's my favorite show I do all summer. And yeah, I could not agree more with that uh, sentiment. Anyone who pretends they know what LSU is going to be this year is just talking out of their ass. So yeah, uh, but thanks for having me, guys. Look, obviously, you have Brian Kelly. He's taken over the job. We'll get to him, and if you think the team is buying in and his impact in year one. But one of the biggest unknowns, and it's really important position to a football team, is the quarterback, right? You have Garrett Nussmeyer. You have Brennan, who's kind of waited his turn, dealt with injuries. And then you bring in Daniels from Arizona State, the more mobile guy. So all these guys have are in, like, different spots, they have different like talents and how's it all going to work? Who's going to win the job? How much do you think it matters? Like if you, if this person wins the job, you're going to be higher on LSU than if this. And so where do we stand with a quarterback competition? You keep thinking it's obvious and then things keep changing. But what I mean by that is Miles Brennan comes back for year six, comes back from the portal. You assume that job is his, right? Nope. Jane Daniels transfers in too. Then you're like, wait, they got this huge name transfer, right? Like, oh, he's going to get it. I don't know. Honestly, uh, I think we're at a point now where if you ask me right now to name a starter, I am probably leaning Garrett Nussmeyer, the redshirt freshman who is a you know former top 100 recruit who's 
really raw, not was really raw, but has just that it factor, very exciting quarterback, but also kind of turnover prone. What it's really going to tell us so much is kind of just where Kelly's values are going to lie because history tends to say Kelly goes with the more trustworthy guy, the the veteran, the guy who's going to manage the offense, right? That's even what offense coordinator Mike Dembrock told us uh, yesterday or two days ago. But that would be Miles Brennan, right? And as of today, I feel like Brennan's probably in third place right now. And to your question of what, well, how much does it matter, right? I think if Daniels wins it, it tells you a few things. One, I think it probably tells you what he thinks of the offensive line. Offensive line. Extent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which I know we're going to get to in a second. But, hey, man, maybe they just need a guy who can make some plays because they know that a line's going to work. And it also might be telling you, like, they just don't trust Nussmeyer yet. And, again, I'm the same guy who predicted they'd be good on this show each of the last two years. So I want to preface everything I say with you guys shouldn't trust me. But if Nussmeyer wins it, there's probably cause for excitement because if he earns Brian Kelly, of all people's trust – I kind of think Nussmeyer has a chance to be a star. He's not dumb, even though he's kind of raw. He's the son of Doug Nussmeyer, really sharp kid. I think he was just kind of trying to be Johnny Manziel a lot his freshman year, and I think he's honed that in. He can run, so it's not like he's flat-footed. So I, I think Nussmeyer is a really exciting option if he does win it, but he comes a little more variance, I'm sure. But yeah, he probably gives just, you the biggest ceiling, right? The highest exactly. ceiling for this year. I think that's the best way to put it. And I think if it's Daniels, you start viewing it as okay, this team might just kind of be what it is to some extent. Nussmeyer yeah. was the kid that we wanted to come in last year, but there was all the drama about burning the red shirt. Is mm-hmm. he gonna play in the bowl game? The- and Ed Ogeron handled that disastrously. There's no question about that. Yeah, disastrously, of course. And so, you know, Nussmeyer is still – I'm actually shocked that he's still there. I'm even more shocked that Miles Brennan goes in the portal, comes out, and then they get another quarterback. I think the whole angle of Brian Kelly wants the most trustworthy quarterback, that goes back to how him and Chip Long, they had worked together yeah. forever. And then, you know, there was this kind of argument behind get when is Phil Jakova going to come in and start playing quarterback for Notre Dame, and that's really what Splitsville was up there. So, <laughs> you know, it's – and then my thinking is – when you start off with a Florida State front seven, maybe you're going to throw a quarterback to the Wolves and save your, you know, save the guy you really trust for SEC play. But I think that kind of leads into the offensive line, which we have to get into. The yeah. one stat that I'll throw out there, LSU, number one in the transfer portal in snaps gained over 15,000. Uh, this is like a Hamilton performance. There's like 800 people on stage. I can't tell one from the other. Yeah. Brody, is there someone on the offensive line that you think is bankable that's going to make this better? Is there a transfer that's sticking out? Anything like that? Yeah, and and just to jump in, you know, I think to your point also about the way Kelly tends to handle things, and I like your comment about Florida State kind of throwing the wolves. He also has a big history of kind of starting a guy, but that's not really the starter. You know, like right. maybe they split a half or maybe gives them one game and pulls them. So I think there's something there. To the offensive line, this is – this might be the red flag of the line, but it also might be the exciting part. You could take this how you want. The guy I think who's wowed people the most is five-star true freshman early enrollee, Will Campbell. I think he is pretty much locked down the left tackle job. And obviously you're never going to be too happy when you're true freshmen, you're starting left tackle, mm-hmm. but he is kind of, he's a dude. I mean, he's just one of those guys. And, and I think they really do trust him. The fascinating thing with this O-line is, the way I keep putting it is, I think the floor is a little higher than it's been the last two years. I just have no confidence on where that ceiling is, where I think they've done a really, they're doing a really interesting thing right now, just kind of cross-training every position, you know, the cliche of get the five best guys on the field. But there's scenarios where that works. Garrett Dellinger is a former top 100 recruit who showed some really nice stuff in moments last year as a true freshman tackle guard, even played some tight end. 
Right now, he's the first team center. And, and if that hypothetically, if that works out, if he really can play center, that's a huge win. That's a really good player filling a massive hole. And then you can kind of get creative with the rest of your guys. I like the depth, like in a weird way. I kind of think they have eight, nine, maybe 10 guys who like you could play. But if you ask me if there's one guy I would like be confident rating, I don't know, like an 87 overall in a video game, I wouldn't be. You know, it depends on your trust of Kelly. depends on your trust of O-line coach Brad Davis, who it was a very mediocre to bad offensive line last year. But you also weirdly saw it get better as they spent more time. Like the five that were starting the last game of the season was like the first time they ever played together. Yep. And it's August 10th right now. There's only one starter you know who it is, and that's never probably a good thing. How do they lose three offensive linemen of the NFL? I'm always amazed when like these offensive linemen are like, it's crazy. Just never know, could. right. That's just guys who like continuity. seemed pretty bad in college. Yeah. It's like fourth round pick. And you're like, what do I not know here? Or how poorly were they coached? I guess. Outside of Clemson, is this the best defensive line or at least the most talented defensive line in college football? I think there's a scenario where it is because first you start with your known guys, right? Bijou Jalari should be one of the three best edge rushers in the country. Maybe being more of an outside linebacker this year, he's such a good athlete. I think that'll get more out of him personally. And then, you know, Ollie Gay, obviously returner really creates a lot of havoc, all these things, but the guy I'm most excited about the guy, I think come December might be considered the best interior D lineman in the country is Mason Smith, former five-star And I mean, you look at those first, I don't know, five or six games last year. He was a freak as a true freshman D lineman in the SEC. Just, I mean, there was a point before, and then eventually, so versatile, by the way, they eventually made him a DN because they were screwed at the end at some point. And he did pretty solid there. He was like an old school NFL 4-3 DN kind of thing. And he did solid as his numbers went down a little. But if you look at his his pressure numbers when he was playing D tackle, I I believe he was top three in the country in pressure rate while playing D tackle. It was bonkers. So I think Mason Smith in year two, he's clearly like that focal point of that three, four. I think he's the, just the guy who might break out. And then we also have to Roy, a guy who Dane Brugler, the athletic put in his first round mock draft. And he's in a a competition at nose tackle. And (laughs) so I I guess Jacoby Guillory is a guy they like. And also, I don't know if, Roy's like your most natural nose. He's probably more of a, a three techniques. I don't know. Like maybe it's just not a natural thing, but point being they're really deep there. I mean, they added Makai Wingo from Mizzou who's going to be a rotation piece. And he was freshman all sec last year. They really like what they got from him. They're just really, really deep and really top heavy. So if they don't, and they got Jamar Kane as a D line coach, who I think really highly of, if you look at his pressure numbers, every Arizona state, Oklahoma, whenever he joins a place they go up like, several percentage points. So I think this should be one of the best units in the SEC, if not number one. Yeah, and it could. Yeah. And look, if you have that dominant of a defensive line, it can mask any issues or some issues that you have on the back end. True. And that's a question that I have with kind of a two part question. Are you expecting to see a lot of three, four? Is it going to be more um, multiple? And then the, the secondary has a lot of talent, but it's all brand new. It is all transfers. They've got a, a couple kids coming in from Collins Neck of the Woods in Arkansas who have starting experience. So what are your thoughts on the secondary and how it's coming together? And then just from a scheme perspective, yeah. are you are you thinking of any one dominant base that we'll see, or is it going to be pretty multiple? Yeah, you know, like every coach ever, right? Matt House was saying he wanted to be multiple. And I, I believe that was the plan because he literally has plenty of history playing both. But yeah. – and you know how it is. They only show X amount, but everything we have seen has been showing a three, four, you know, it's just so just take that data point as you can. Everything they've shown so far, including scrimmages they've showed us has been three, four. So it does seem like that's going to be the base. Now the secondary, it's almost like 
the opposite of what we said about the O-line, right? Where in theory, in a vacuum, if you are just thinking everybody's going to be perfectly healthy, yeah, it might be decent, right? Like if your outside corners are Jared Bernard Converse and Seven Banks, you know, an all big 12 guy on one of the best defense in the country last year in Bernard Converse and Seven Banks, who's a preseason All-American before injuries, that's good outside corners right there, right? But one or two guys who both have injury history and and then if any of those guys get hurt, I mean, you're talking real problem mode. You know, they have at the outside, they have no depth there. In the inside in the secondary, I would actually call it a strength, kind of a weird, quiet strength that doesn't get much attention where they basically have three starters at safety between Jay Ward's a really good player at safety. Major Burns was solid last year as a co-starter safety. And then you add Joe Fusha from Arkansas, who obviously Colin knows. And so that's three starters there. But Greg Brooks has looked like a clear starter in nickel. Looks really good. Staff likes him. And then you have a former five-star in Sage Ryan, who's his backup at nickel, essentially. And he's a really good sophomore. So that middle feels really, really sturdy. So it's like top heavy. Yeah, those are two really good corners. But yeah, depth is a problem. Um, any thoughts on any of your ex-hogs? Greg Brooks was great for us because we had so many injuries in the, in the back. So, well, I should say the back eight because all we do is rush three and drop eight. Yeah. Barry Odom, we, we can never figure out if it's the players that are so good or it's the Barry Odom <laughs> scheme or if it's just the quality of the offenses we're going against. But I think LSU is going to be fine on the back end, especially with a couple of players that we've depended on for years. And, you know, Arkansas has put up the numbers in the secondary to prove it. And, you know, I, I think LSU is going to be fantastic. I, and I think having – a two deep, which is, you know, you hear Brody keep talking about having a rotation of players at each position and guys that are winning freshman of the year are like fighting for a job. That That's actually some pretty good news. You just wish that you would hear that out of the offensive line under the total in the first half of the game against Florida State in the yeah. opener is probably the play. I think there could be a zero zero score there at half. It's a good call. Actually, I really like that. Yeah. And one of the other biggest questions is, look, you bring in Brian Kelly. He's always had like a always done really well as a favorite. He's always, his teams have always had a pretty high floor, but this is a, a big cultural change. And that's, if it works out, that's going to be a big benefit. If it doesn't, it could be a disaster. So my two questions for you, as if it wasn't hard enough to figure out this LSU team, <laughs> I mean, I, I project 6.9 wins. Their win total is six and a half, over six and a half minus 120, but they have eight, they basically have eight coin flips on the schedule. If you go yeah. down and, and just model out. So it's like, all right, it's going to come down to a couple games here or there. Maybe it comes down to the team buying in. So are you, for the third straight year, are you going to tell us about the LSU over? Unfortunately, then, I am. Damn it. Uh, do you think the team's buying in so far from what you've seen to what Kelly is uh, preaching? I think the thing with Kelly that he is maybe second to Nick Saban in terms of, and I hate the term CEO. I think it's the worst term, but sometimes it's accurate. Just those guys who just know how to run an organization, know how to just a little detail stuff where they obsess over. That's what they're the best at. That's why he is such a good coach. And yeah, I am so many questions about the Brian Kelly era that are valid and you should be asking that one. I have a lot of faith in, and I, I always go back to LSU just won a title with three straight coaches and two of them weren't very good coaches. So I think it, there's this thing, of if you can get the guy who just else use a sports car we all know that it's one of the more easy roadmap to success jobs i think is a good way to put it and if you get a guy who knows how to run the machine yeah and i think that part i've seen through seven months or eight months already you know the accountability stuff that was lacking under both miles and ogeron like real point system and all that i don't know if they're like buying in as in like anything for coach i don't know but i, I do think there is very much change in the culture at lsu a change in just how things are operated and things like that 
which could also change how things go in games because I just think the bottom's going to be different, right? It's just yeah. Ogeron could mishandle a game with the best of them. Les Miles could mishandle a game with the best of them. I think Kelly's going to lead to a bit more of a better floor because he knows how to coach a football game. Now, six and a half, I'm willing to pay that juice anytime just because the West is just in a weird place for, yeah, Bama, juggernaut, right? But Auburn's in the dumpster. Florida, just from what I've talked to people around the program, I just don't think that that's a roster set to really thrive this year. Uh, I do love Arkansas, but still, like, I don't think they're some world beater, you know, and it's like out of those non top two games, how many are you sure they're losing? None to your point, like eight toss ups. So I think I have to say over there just because I think it's going to be a volatile year is the way I, which I, I think it's going to be on the right night, their top end talent's good enough to beat AM, right? On the right night. And on the wrong night, they're they could easily lose to Ole Miss and Mississippi State. So or Auburn. I think eight and four is where I'm at. I think whenever I think that I should subtract one. So seven and five is probably more accurate. But it's hard to see them going six and six again, just in my personal opinion. But I'm I've wrong two years in a row here. I tend to agree with you. I think they're getting to seven. Now that it's come down, I would agree with you. I project them six, nine. I think with Kelly, you're always going to have, you know, a high floor. And I think they do get at least a seven. So I agree with you this year, have in the past, but we're on the same page. Well, you guys were absolutely you're right last year, though. I, so, yeah. I, I am directly on 6.5. I think I think Brian Kelly gets up to a bowl. Whether they win that seventh game, I mean, it's probably going to come down to the Texas A&M game. If a defensive line can challenge LSU's offensive line, it's going to give them problems, and then vice versa. And I think the trench is going to be paramount to Brian Kelly's first year. So my last question for Brody, we got to rack yeah. this. Will Brian Kelly win a national championship in you the first four son years? son of a bitch. Yeah. Uh, yes or no? There's no, there's no teeter-tottering here. I will say he wins one national championship. He's going to build the infrastructure, the floor, all of that. Do I think LSU becomes a program that like lives in the playoff? No, I don't think that. But let's say hypothetically lives out his 10-year contract. I bet they make two or three playoffs. I could see them winning one. You know, I, I just think LSU is a program that's always going to have some of these bursts of years, whether it be 19 or 11 or all that. And yeah, I just think they're going to hang around that top 10 more. They're not going to go, you know, seesaw as much. So if you put LSU in the mix enough, yeah, I think Brian Kelly's good enough to win one. I heard it here first. <laughs> uh, national championship is headed your way, LSU fans. Uh, just not this year. But thanks, as always, for joining us, Brody. We always appreciate your insight. And make sure you follow along at Brody A. Miller. Follow all the stuff on The Athletic. We're still trying to figure out LSU, and it's going to be changing each and every day. Still don't know who the quarterback is, so make sure you follow all the stuff. No one's closer to the program. Thanks for joining us, as always, brother. Thanks, guys. Always a blast. All right, great stuff on LSU, who's 40-1 to 1 to win the SEC West. The clear favorite is Alabama, minus 400 to win the SEC West, over 10.5 minus 280, or under 11.5 minus 160. There's not much you could say about Alabama. They're the best team in the country um, by my power ratings, I think by yours. Ohio State's not far behind, and then there's a big drop-off. This is a revenge tour season for Alabama. They're going to have revenge potentially against Calzada. Are you kidding me? We got Zach Calzada. Maybe he's starting for Auburn. We'll talk about that. They're going to have revenge against Texas A&M. Calzada's old team. Could have revenge against Georgia in the SEC Championship. It's a very experienced team. They have coordinator continuity. Saban is anger and also sounding very confident. I feel strong about this now. Really strong. I mean, you can pretty much pencil this team into the college football playoff and probably the national title. They, I have them 
favored by at least two touchdowns in every single game. The lowest spread is uh, at Arkansas, um, right around two touchdowns. From after the Arkansas game, they play Texas A&M at home, then they're at Tennessee, then they're home against Miss State, then they're at LSU, then they're at Ole Miss. I have them like right around 20 or 21 every game. So if you like one side, the kids might be around the key number as always, but uh, there's some tricky spots on the schedule. Like at Arkansas is a tricky spot. Like if they're, how much are they looking ahead to Texas A&M and that revenge, that hyped up game with all the beef between Jimbo and Saban. Um, you know, then they go to at Ole Miss, who's coming off of a bye. That's after the LSU game. So, you know, maybe there's a, a clunker in here, but it's hard not to see Alabama winning the division. Bryce Young is back. Can he repeat the Heisman? I don't think so, but he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Might go number one overall. This team reloaded. There's not much more you can say. They also added Gibbs, one of the best running backs in the country from Georgia Tech. He'll help the backfield. They took one of Georgia's solid receivers in Burton. They added also Eli Ricks, the corner from LSU. They crushed, they crushed, absolutely crushed the portal, which just doesn't even seem fair. You know, if there's one question with this team, it's the offensive line. And maybe receiver, but there's just five stars everywhere. Maybe it takes a little bit of time to gel, but this team is loaded. There's not much more I could say. It's a revenge tour season, and mm. I think they're running the table. Anything you want to really add? We, there's not much. Yeah, I ran the table during the pandemic. You know, one of the greatest college football teams. But remember, that was a 10-game season. It was all conference. I agree with everything you said. Uh, you know, they're up there with Ohio State. They are ahead of everybody else, ahead of Georgia and ahead of Clemson. And when Nick Saban comes out and says, people don't understand, last year was a rebuilding season. It was. The offensive line was a huge issue. The secondary was a huge issue. There were reasons why this podcast was saying Alabama's not winning the national title game. There's just, there's, there's holes in the trench. And, you know, they got close. That's how good a rebuilding season was. They got close. All right, so everybody wants to beat us. We're going to get everybody's best game. I don't know why people can't understand that. When I came here, everybody was happy to win a game. All right, now we're not happy to win a game at all. So now if you look at it this year, obviously the offensive line, which returns 75% of their snaps, they have to improve in certain areas. If they don't, then there's going to be games like Arkansas. There's going to be games like Florida from last year's schedule. So when you look at this, who are the defensive lines on this current schedule that are going to give Alabama the biggest problems? It's not Arkansas. And, you know, Texas A&M, say what you will, they're going through a little bit of change on the defensive front seven. LSU may have the best defensive line outside of Clemson. The one game I would circle where LSU can match where Alabama will struggle the most if they really kind of struggle at all in the offensive line. And another coach that can hang from a game execution and and, and changing plans at halftime, that's Brian Kelly. So if they're going to lose a game, I think it's going to be LSU, but I don't think they are. Pencil them into the national championship game. All right, moving on, because we'll, we'll talk about Bama, obviously, plenty during the season, and it'll mainly be like, all right, do we think this team can cover 21 or not against them? But we talked about LSU, talked about Alabama. The second favorite to win the West is Texas A&M. They're at plus 600, over 8.5, minus 165. I am not buying Texas A&M this year. And to win the division, I mean, and to, for any futures, they're going to have to beat Alabama at pretty much at Alabama. That I do not see that happening uh, this year. They should, you know, they start with Sam Houston, App State, and then Miami. Not an easy game. Also, then they're against Arkansas and Arlington, and then at Miss State, at Bama. It's a brutal schedule. 
Uh, and then you're closing up with, you know, Ole Miss, Florida, at Auburn, UMass, and LSU, a lot of home games to end. But that's that beginning stretch after Sam Houston State is absolutely vicious. There's quarterback questions here. Is it going to be Haynes King? Is it going to be Max Johnson? Is it going to be the true freshman? I'm not sold on either one of them. There's also, you know, you lose Mike Elko, great defensive coordinator. DJ Durkin comes in. They had the number one recruiting class. They're loaded with talent, but they have to replace almost their entire defensive line. Can all the five stars step up? I'm not sure. They might be starting four underclassmen on that defensive line. So, you know, I just basically think they're not going to win at Alabama. So I'm eliminating them for any futures or the division. As far as the win total, over eight and a half minus 165, I'm, I'm right around eight. Now, I'm a little higher on the market on Miami and Miss State. So maybe that's why. But I would lean under here with Texas A&M. I think the defense takes a step back with a lot of the pieces it's lost and Elko. Not sold on the quarterback situation. You know, it's just not a modern offense until i see it at texas a&m i'm not buying it so i would uh lean under with a&m and i'm not even considering them for any futures sec or division conference or anything else thoughts hey don't just be support just keep fighting with us we ain't quitting on you please don't quit on us you know what i'm saying there's no reason to be nasty Oh, I completely agree with you. I'm at 8.1 on this team. I would happily play an under on these guys, even though the projection's close to what the number is in the market. Are you running to the window to bet Haynes King? Are you running to the window to bet Max Johnson? I mean, Max Johnson was such an afterthought of an afterthought of an afterthought that, you know, he had to have so many injuries to get the job at LSU. He was horrendous under pressure. And now the offensive line comes back. They return about 64% of snaps. But Texas A&M loses a lot of skill position players. Now, they still have Devin A. Shane in there who can absolutely burn, but there's some work to be done here. You flip over to the defensive side. This is the biggest issue I have with this team. DJ Durkin has never coached a 4-2-5 in his life. But in the absence of Mike Elko, Jimbo said, we're going to run the 4-2-5 no matter what. Durkin's been calling dimes his entire life. You have to disguise what you're going to do with your nickelback. You have to have two very strong linebackers. No one's questioning the talent that they're getting there, but you're right. This pro-style offense that Jimbo calls is not going to win a national championship, not anymore. Uh, and, and, you know, he just doesn't have any quarterback that can learn this within camp and then be able to run it in September. It just never happens. So interesting to see what happens there. I I, I, I don't know. I just have a bad – like get outside the, six, the spreadsheet. I get outside all the stats. And Jimbo's cutting jokes about giving DJ Durkin a conditioning test. Like that was it, it, during practice two days ago from this recording. I, I'm out, man. This is, I don't like the juju. I don't like a lot about this team, especially the fact that there's no quarterback. So yeah, under eight and a half for me. Agreed. All right, moving on to Ole Miss, 16 to one to win the SEC West over seven and a half minus 140. If you look at their schedule and you assume a, lo- you assume a loss to Bama, and they have five, you know, win games that they should win. Puts them at five and one. And then there's close to about six coin flips. So in order to get over, can they go three and three in those games? The good news is, is that the schedule starts off very easy. So you have Troy, then Central Arkansas, then at Georgia Tech, then home against Tulsa, home against Kentucky, then at Vandy, home against Auburn. Could they start seven and oh? Potentially. If the, but the problem is all the change. You have new coordinators, new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator. We also still don't know who the quarterback is between Altmaier and Dart. And this team is just basically going to be all transfers, new quarterback and all transfers. So projecting 
what they're going to look like. And they actually lost four defenders to the NFL. Defense was maybe a bit underrated last year. Will the transfers work out? Um, I'm not sure. It's very hard to project. I project them at 7.47 wins, but I'm having trouble trying to gauge where their offense and defense is going to be at. Their over is 7.5 juice minus 140. So got them ahead. I'm playing the under, but not enough to play anything. Really hard team for me to gauge. Maybe they could figure some things out early in the year with a soft schedule, and that helps later. No play for me on Ole Miss, but definitely an intriguing team just because of all the moving pieces. Could have argued, could argue that they won the transfer portal. So it should be an interesting experiment for Lane Kiffin. Throw in two coordinators, and we'll see. Can Ole Miss back up their season last year when they won 10 regular season games for the first time ever? What are your thoughts on the Rebs? Yeah, well, hotty toddy. I'm glad you guys won that uh, College World Series up in Omaha because it might be a while before there's any other kind of celebration. I, I've got them projected at 7.2. Uh, I have some issues with this team. I don't think it fits the mold of what Lane Kiffin wants. Uh, he needs a quarterback that can run the RPO, read the man that's in space, and then make a decision whether we're going to go deep. And Luke Altmeyer proved last year he's not the quarterback to do that. Uh, Matt Corral was hurt a lot. And there's a reason why Luke Altmeyer just didn't get a lot of playing time, and especially in critical situations. So then you turn to Jackson Dart, uh, the spring game and the practices there, the reports coming out of there, horrendous. He can't learn how to run this offense whatsoever. He comes from the Graham Harrell air raid. So it is quite the change to actually, you know, put the ball in the breadbasket in the stomach of the running back and then try to make a, make a read on a guy and then make a decision whether you're going to hand off, run, or throw just seems to be something that Jackson Dart's going to take some time for him to get that. He does bring in uh, one of the transfers you didn't mention was Michael Trigg, uh, a tight end that comes in from USC. USC. Yeah. yeah. So there, there's pieces here, but this is not the Snoop Connor. Uh, this is not the DK Metcalf. This is not the level of athlete they've had outside the tackle box that, you know, there was in the past. So I expect Ole Miss to run the ball a lot, especially with the Zach Evans and, and Ulysses Bennett from SMU. Like they're going to run the ball and they have an offensive line that, you know, isn't too bad at pushing the pile. The defense is going to continue to be horrendous. Uh, you know, they did have some improvement, not from a success rate, but they were kind of locking down when it got towards a red zone, top 50 and finishing drives, which is a big deal for Ole Miss, but they're not forcing any fumbles. They're not getting behind the line of scrimmage. So I believe this season is going to be, a downgrade from what Lane's had the past couple of years. And I think he knows it in his quarterback room and he knows it with the offense that he has. So uh, under for me, I'm going to guess that Lane Kiffin's fourth down attempts, which I actually talked to him about at SEC media days. I bet that gets cut down if he doesn't have the belief that his quarterbacks can run the offense. Kicker also, I believe, got suspended. I'm not sure on his status. I'll have to look that up. Um, their punter's gone. I have some questions about their special teams. All right, it's time. Woo, pig suey. Absolute dumpster fire, dumpster fire. I don't know how we win a game the rest of the year. Just blow the program up. Give us a death sentence. Collins talking Razorback football. Moving on to Arkansas football, 16 to 1, just like Ole Miss to win the SEC West. Over win total over seven minus 115. Uh, I could tell you right off the bat, Collins, I don't I don't really go into too much Arkansas as I let you handle that. I have them projected 7.58. So if I was gonna play it, I would play the over 
By the way, they won all three trophy games last year. LSU, Texas A&M, and Missouri. They won five trophies. Get the intro five. right. So the, the three important ones after you lost 15 straight. Pretty wild. And, you know, it is a brutal schedule. You could argue it's one of the five hardest schedules in the country. This stretch, this five-game stretch, Texas A&M and Arlington, or should we throw in Petrino, playing your boy Petrino oh in, in Missouri State? What a, what a game that's going to be. Uh, Arkansas has some of the – I was going back and looking at those instances where teams play their first game against a team that's already played. No one has more embarrassing losses in that scenario than Arkansas. They lost to Toledo at home. Who else? San Jose State. Wait, I mean, to name them all. We've lost to the Citadel in 1992. You got any others yeah. for me? Because you can't beat that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so – Wait, let me see. Was that was that the uh, beat Coastal by one? Line. We lost it to Toledo. North Texas faked a punt return and 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 uh, schooled Chad Morris. Let me make sure I'm not missing one because I want to make sure that I get this out before you <laughs> tell us how great Arkansas is going to be. At UL Monroe in 2012, they were 30 point 30 point underdog. I was in Little Rock. It doesn't count. Still, still counts. But yeah, Arkansas does start off with Cincinnati. They're touchdown favorites. But this this stretch this five game stretch between september 24th and october 29th and only has one home game texas a&m and arlington home against alabama at mississippi state at byu at least you get a bye and then you're at auburn that is vicious five game stretch so if you know if you're arkansas you got to start out three now against Cincy, south carolina missouri state luckily they're all at home you could easily finish four now too you have liberty at home then lsu at home then Ole miss at home and then you're at Missouri. So that could be seven wins right there. And then you have that tough five-game stretch, just a brutal five-game stretch. I mean, I'd show them you know, there's six coin flips based on my projected spreads. I would lean over. My biggest question for them, and then I'll let you wax poetic about them and tell us where you're concerned. Like, there is coordinator continuity. that You got K.J. Jefferson back. The question just is, how important was Traylon Burks? I talked about Wondell Robinson leaving for Kentucky. He was number one in college football with percentage of explosive plays as from a receiver, guess Traylon Burks is number two, just an invaluable uh, weapon that Arkansas had. Can Jefferson throw accurate enough to balance the Bryles RPO attack is the question because they lost three of their top four receivers. They are transfer reliant. And uh, can the run game also be as effective without the concern? You know, so if Jefferson's, this is kind of the domino effect. If Jefferson can't be accurate enough, and the passing game really suffers without Burks, then, then teams aren't respecting the passing game even more. And then does the running game suffer as a result? Um, the offensive line does return four starters. Body yada, yada, yada. I'll let you get into it. Um, what do you see about your hogs? And where's the bet? The bet is going to be on over seven. Uh, this open six and a half took a lot of steam. Over. You know, it got up to seven. I saw some seven halves out there. And interestingly enough, the under got pinged on that. And then a lot of shops uh, came, a couple of shops I know came back down to seven. So this is a number that I make at 7.9. And you don't have to worry about, hey, Arkansas gets to six wins or bowl eligible. They will be fired up to go up to Missouri to play for another trophy because trophy games is what Sam Pittman does. Uh, you you got to bet him posing with five trophies at the end of last season after winning the Outback Bowl is going to be the highlight of his career until he's, I don't know, the Alabama head coach someday. There are problems. I'm not going to sit here and blow smoke up everybody's ass because everybody inside the state of Arkansas knows there's major issues with this team and we haven't even hit the field yet. 
So issue number one, Stucky mentioned it, Traylon Burks is gone. We're getting in uh, Jadon Hazelwood from Oklahoma. The problem is he is not Traylon Burks. He doesn't run the same routes. He's not as physical. And we're not really sure he's going to be doing small crossing routes for K.J. Jefferson. And the issue with K.J. Jefferson is, as much as we want to compare him to Cam Newton, and as great as it is that he can just run people over, he does not check down. Uh, Traylon Burks had twice as many targets as anybody on the team, three times as many third down targets as anybody on the team. Uh, he has no chemistry whatsoever with anybody else. The good news is Kendall Browse is going to run the ball and try to stay in standard downs as long as possible. We have a rotation of four running backs, Raheem Sanders, Dominic Johnson return here. Uh, we are going to run heavy RPO, heavy zone runs. And if we can stay on schedule, we will run the ball down your throat. You get us into third and long, get us off schedule, Arkansas is going to struggle. And that hasn't changed through camp here. We do have one of the best offensive lines in the SEC, led by center Ricky Stromberg. Schedule is super tough, right? I mean, at BYU, who wants to go to at BYU in the middle of your SEC schedule? Other holes on this, you cannot drop eight on a defense unless you have pressure. Barry Odom's defense is, I'm dropping eight, I'll give you the entire field. But you can only do that if you can apply pressure. Arkansas can't do that with this current set of defensive linemen that they have. That K.J. Jefferson issue with not being able to check down, not being able to get off your hot read. Uh, the play action pass passing is not going to work. Uh, so I'm nervous about this team. I'm nervous about this schedule. I have no issues with the run game. So when you look at the schedule stuff, there are eight teams on this schedule that cannot defend the run. They can stuff eight in the box. They won't be able to stop what Arkansas pulls in between the tackles. Now, those other teams, they can dominate Arkansas and get them behind schedule. So we're going over the win total. There's a bunch of teams on here that can't defend the run. I'm not saying it's going to be pretty, and I'm not going to say we're going to cover a bunch of spreads, but this team can get to seven wins and eight to cash our tickets. Love it. All right, I'm going to keep that trend going. I'm going to go with another over. Let's move on to Mississippi State. 60 to 1 to win the SEC West over six and a half minus 135. I project Mississippi State 7.7 wins. I'm with I you. I'm super high on this team. I love this over. I love the more over six and a half minus 120, but I would still play it here. This is Will Rogers, who was excellent last year. He is a third year starting quarterback in Mike Leach's air raid system. He will be a fourth third-year starting quarterback that Mike Leach has ever had in all of his previous stops as a head coach. In all three prior instances, his team won at least nine games, improving their win total by at least two from the previous year. It's not whether you win or lose. It's like the team that wins is the one that has the most fun. You know, that crap like that. You know, all this stuff that's contaminated America where they give every kid a trophy and they don't keep scoring Little League anymore. You know, this Mississippi State team went seven and six last year, despite some bad luck in one possession games. Just refs cost them a game against Memphis. Their special teams were horrid. They went out and addressed that by getting kickers in the transfer portal. I think their special team should be better. Even the, the drops against that Ole Miss, they outplayed Ole Miss statistically in the Egg Bowl and lost that game. So they were a bit unlucky. The defense is rock solid. I think it'll be rock solid once again. Mike Leach's offenses are all about timing. They are all about repetition, and Rodgers now has it down pat. I love what I saw from him last year. I love the defense, and I think there is at least seven wins on this schedule. I wouldn't be shocked if they gave Georgia a run as well. Give me the Bulldogs and the Fighting Leeches 
over six and a half. That's my favorite win total in the SEC West. You're on the same page. I'm 100% with you. My my win total is at 7.5. And if you want Will Rogers to do what he's got to do, then you have to give him an offensive line. And that's what they have. They were fifth in the nation last year and pressure rate allowed. You can point to their center who might be the best in the country. At least he was graded by PFF last year as the best pass protecting center in the country. Look, Kingston Sharp. The defense is what everybody I think should be excited about. You get 100% of your you know passes defense back. You get over 90% of your stops stops being ending a play uh, immediately. This defense is legit. They can hang in the SEC. Their corners can go one on one. They don't need to have any double teams. Uh, this is going to be what Mike Leach had intended to have from day one, which is a solid offensive line, a quarterback that can run the air raid. They're going to dink and dunk you. And this team was one of the best in finishing drives last year. So I expect more of the same schedule lightens up from what they've had. I've had I mean, Mike Leach walked into a killer schedule to start off his career there. I like this team a lot. I, I agree with you. I'm going over the six and a half. Yep. Yeah. Jordan getting Jordan Davis on that defense really helps. I like some of the additions they had in the transfer portal. And remember, Leach, when he got here, he also had to deal with a COVID year yep. trying to install this new offense completely different than what Mississippi State was running. And like, this is one of the most experienced teams in the country. I think top 10 in returning production. And last year, they were extremely unlucky on things like fumble luck. They only recovered like 30% of their fumbles. They were the only team in the SEC to make less than 70% of their field goals. They didn't have a kicker. It was a horrendous problem. And they brought in two... Two potential. I don't know who's going to win it. They could go with two kickers, but I love this kid, Biscardi. I think their special teams, which were finished, I think 120th in the country, will be much better. I love it over six and a half. You know, I hope there's Bigfoot. I don't think there is. The reason I don't think there is, because we found bones of dinosaurs and everything else, but we haven't found bones that I've heard of, of Bigfoot. All right, let's close out the SEC West with the Auburn Tigers, War Eagle, 100 to 1 to win the SEC West. The team that won a national title uh, not too long ago, 100, 100 to one would have been crazy to like win the national title if you told me that ten years now. One hundred to one to win the division. What is going on with Brian Harson in year two? He lost five straight to end the year last year. They did have that game where they could have easily beat Alabama, but didn't. He brought in the new offensive coordinator, the fourth offensive coordinator in the last four years, a new defensive coordinator who's apparently going to keep the same scheme. By the way, this is the third offensive coordinator in the last 14 months. And there is a quarterback battle. So lots of change with Auburn. They were one and four in one possession games last year and finished six and seven. Bo Nick's season is obviously gone. They're probably going to focus on their rushing attack with Bigsby and Hunter. It remains to be seen who's going to win the quarterback position. Like Robbie Ashford's getting a lot of love now. The Oregon transfer. Finley, is he, is he in jail still? I don't know. Zach Calzada. The, the transfer from Texas A&M, and then you have another freshman in the mix. So I don't know. There's like four or five guys that could win it. Strength is that running back and tight end. It is an experienced offensive line with 120 career starts. It's Hudson left for UCF. The wide receiver from leaves a lot to be desired. And the past, he wasn't that great last year. They lose their top two players in McCreary and Smoke Monday. Front should be pretty good against the run and off the edge again, but there's some concerns on the back end. So it's all about the quarterback, and to me, the secondary is the biggest question on the defense. And it's all about the first five games. Like, they have to start 5-0 and if you're going to go over here. and Otherwise, like, if they drop a couple games, it could get ugly with Harson. I'm not sure where he stands, and I have this as the number one hardest schedule in the country. So they start with Mercer and San Jose State. 
Hopefully they don't pull an Arkansas and lose to San Jose State at home. But then they have Penn State at home and then Missouri at home and LSU at home. So you could see 5-0 and there. Those are five, and that's before you go to Georgia, then before you go to Ole Miss, and then Arkansas, then at Miss State, then Texas A&M, then Western Kentucky, then at Bama. So, like, it doesn't get any easier. You got to beat Penn State. You got to beat LSU at home. You can't drop any to Missouri, San Jose State, or Mercer. So those are the three, you know, that's your floor, the three wins. If you win those, like I, you technically could start out five and L and then I don't know how many more wins you're going to get, but that's the only shot you have of going over six minus one Oh five is a fast start. Is Auburn set up for a fast start here? I'd project them at five, eight, five. So I would lean under, but not enough to play it. I'm having a lot of trouble figuring out what this team is going to look like. I would think that there's, a much better chance that things go completely wrong than they go completely right, especially with this schedule and all the change. What are your thoughts on War Eagle? Well, first off, thanks to Brian Harson for getting me in trouble with my wife as I was creeping on Instagram on the uh, alleged allegations of inappropriate conduct and see who all was involved with that. And, you know, him coming out at SEC media days and like saying, you know, I guys didn't expect me to be here. It just, it's just like a level of immaturity. Like, does that trickle down to your team? And it takes me back to the fact that they fired their wide receiver coach, I think third game in last year, Derek Mason, like you do, you don't hear about anything just in the middle of the night. He, he pulls a Dan Enos and exits the state of Alabama and goes to Oklahoma state. There are things that are happening in this program on the outside, off the field that make me think that not everything is bundled up and being run. Like, you know, we talk about Brian Kelly running LSU like a corporation, Alabama running Alabama like a corporation. That's not what's happening here or else TJ Finley is not on a damn motorcycle with his helmet off, escape evading police, right? I mean, it's August in the SEC, so somebody had to have it. But I just don't think Brian Harson has his team buttoned up whatsoever. The good news is they have one of the best defensive lines in all of the SEC, and they have two of the best running back combinations in the league with Jarquez Hunter and with Tank Bigsby. Now, I'm very interested in Tank's big Tank Bigsby having to be begged not to get in the portal and leave. Uh, you know, that's another story that, that leaks out there. So there's a lot of issues here. My projection is right on the dot, but there's really I don't want any piece of the way that Brian Harson is taking this program. And if he was in any kind of jeopardy of getting fired last year, if he comes off that bye week and loses to Arkansas they might fire him. He might get close to six wins and they might fire him anyways. I mean, there's just a clash here. A guy that never had a footprint in the SEC whatsoever is in, you know, working for Chris Peterson for, you know, decade. I, I just think he's out of his element. Uh, and we're going to, you know, it's starting to show with what kind of activities are happening off the field and being reported. Yeah. The hope is that you figure out the quarterback situation and start out five and oh. So if that's what you're looking for, if you're an Auburn fan, uh, with those five home games to start that are certainly all winnable. All right, before we get out of here, I do want to once again thank Brody Miller for joining us, giving us great insight on LSU. And uh, but let's let's recap our favorite win total and our future from the SEC West. I, I'll start. I don't have a future here. I haven't played this yet, but I would lean under in Texas and lean under in Ole Miss, lean over in Arkansas, lean over in LSU. Not sure which ones I'll add. But my favorite and the one that I have a decent chunk on is Mississippi State over six and a half wins. Look, you look back historically when Mike Leach has had a third year starting quarterback. It's happened three previous times. He's won nine games each of those three seasons. Will Rogers is back for his third year. He showed me a lot last year. The timing, this offense is all about the timing. 
repetition. They have that now. Even after losing Polk, experienced receivers, experienced backfield, I think this offense will continue to evolve. The defense was great last year, should continue to be great. Love a lot of the pieces they added in the transfer portal. And last year, their special teams were horrendous. They couldn't make a kick. They went out and addressed that in the transfer portal. So I really like what Miss State is doing. Yes, it is a tough schedule, but this is one of the 10 most experienced teams in the country. I think they at least get to seven wins. Shake those cowbells. Mississippi State over six and a half. How about you, Colin? Where are you going? I like that. I'm going to join you on that. I'm going to put the money in uh, and, and put it on the action app right after this podcast. And then I'm going to also put in Texas A&M under eight and a half. It's a number I projected 8.1. They lose a ton of skill position at, at, from a rushing perspective, from a pass receiving perspective. And on the defensive side of the ball, we're not going through a scheme change. We're going through a coordinator change with DJ Durkin, who has not coached a nickel before in his life. The quarterback situation is a bit questionable. Pro-style formation that Jimbo likes to run is just not up with the times. This team is going to fall out of being number five in the college football playoff rankings. I expect them to come to the mid-pack of the SEC West, and I'm going to take an under eight and a half on your Texas A&M Aggies this year. And I'm surprised Colin didn't mention it, but I will again. He likes Arkansas over. And I, I tend to agree with him. We had Brody like the LSU over, Colin like the Arkansas over. And from my numbers, I would agree. All right, that'll do it for us. Thanks for joining us. It's time for us to maybe go catch a nap and then we got to get ready for the Pac-12. And then it's like recap. We're going to have a recap episode, recap, go through every conference, recap our favorite bets. Make sure you tune into that one. Thanks again to Brody Miller. Thanks as always to Colin. And thanks, of course, to you guys for tuning in and everyone on the back end who makes this podcast possible. Matt Mitchell, our producer. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe. Leave a review, five-star review. They really help us out, uh, especially now that we're getting back going. Our producer, Matt Mitchell, why don't you list a couple names uh, for some of the giveaways? Hi, thanks, Duck. All right, I've selected four winners. Please reach out to me to claim your prize of either an Action Network hoodie or one-year Action Pro subscription. You can reach out to me at podcasts at actionnetwork.com or DM me on Twitter at Mitch to claim your prize. First winner is Mick Essel. For your review, number one pod for Sports Gambling Degenerates. Next, Action Network only, J95. For your review, College Football, a baby, meet, meet, my donation. SBU Bonnies, number one. For your review about Cordero Nation. And last but certainly not least, 360 Before Dawn, who left a review called First Class and referenced that I sound exactly like Ross from Friends which is both untrue and hurtful, but you've won as well. Everybody, please reach out, and thanks for listening. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out. <laughs>